Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 17, reading from verse 1. Matthew 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and don't be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why do, they, why do the scribes say, that Elijah must come first. And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them about John the Baptist. So you see in in chapter 6, verse 28, it says, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So what they saw was Jesus coming in His kingdom. That's what the transfiguration was. So what are we going to see in the coming kingdom? Well, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus a little bit different than He was when He was on earth. There's going to be something shining about Him. But in the coming kingdom, what's heaven going to be like? Well, Jesus is going to be there, and there's going to be a dialogue between people and Jesus. There will be this dialogue. And what you see here is you see that in verse 3, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Moses, remember, had died. Moses died at the age of 120. It says that God buried Moses. No man knows where he was buried. God himself buried Moses, the Bible says. Moses went up to the mountain and died, and God himself buried Moses. And that was probably a good thing, because people would have gone back to Moses' grave all the time and worshipped somewhere at his grave, as if his his grave meant something. God himself buried buried him, and says no man knows exactly where he was buried. And then the other person that appeared was Elijah. Remember, Elijah never died. Elijah never died. Actually, there's a bunch of chairs over here. There's a whole side over here, if you like. Um, Elijah never died. He was taken directly up to heaven. And what this speaks of is that in heaven, there's going to be two sets of people that are going to be there. People who have died and risen and are in heaven. And then people who were on earth when the rapture occurred and were taken. And both of those sets of people would be there. The other interesting thing is, Moses died. Moses was buried. But now, Moses is very much alive. 
Moses is alive here. I, I don't know how they recognize them as Moses and Elijah. Unless they had a little, hello, my name is, or something. How did they know what Moses looked like? I don't know. It's not clear. It's not said in Scripture. But it was clear to them that it was Moses and it was Elijah. But the dead live. Those who die in Christ shall live. Look in, in, in uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. These are the classic verses that are so comforting in a time when death occurs in our family or to a loved one. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said, do you believe this? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That is Jesus' question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that it's true? What Jesus said. Was Jesus speaking the truth or was he lying? Jesus said that everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. In other words, that when we die, there is life eternal. There is life eternal for the believer. In fact, the scriptures say there is life eternal for the unbeliever. But it's an eternal separation from God. Life for the believer is eternally with God. That's what the scriptures tell us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. For us, death is not the end. That is a very comforting thing. But the question is, that Jesus posed to us is, do you believe this? Do you really believe this? And we're fine with Jesus asking this question to Mary and Martha. But how about to us? Are we okay with Jesus asking this question to us? Do we believe this? Turn over to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 35, Romans 8, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. So look what he says. Then he goes on, he says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says in verse 36, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, that's not a very good end. 
You know, you hear something like that and you say, I'm, I'm not sure I like that picture. But this is the picture of the believer that is painted in the New Testament. That we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. How can we conquer through dying as a sheep in a slaughter? How can we conquer? Because of Christ. Because when we die, it's not the end. And I told my kids, one day you may lay my body in the ground, but I'll be very much alive. That's what the scriptures say. Very much alive. In this transfiguration in Matthew, as we read about, God demonstrates power over death. Moses is very much alive. He said, before you die, several of you are going to see me coming. See the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. He gave. He gave these disciples. He took with Him Peter, James, and John. And He led them up to this mountain. He let them see what the kingdom is going to be like. The kingdom is going to be like this. You're going to have a shining Jesus interacting with people. Both those who have died and they were spiritually and then also physically resurrected in the last day the physical body will join them. But even before the physical body joins them, there is going to be something of the Spirit there in kingdom that the people are going to be able to see and recognize. And then also Elisha, those who are taken in the rapture, who never die, who are just taken from earth to heaven in the rapture. Near, before the tribulation begins. Then you will, you will see. This is a taste of what it is. And there's a dialogue. It's not that Jesus has got this big sword and commanding people to do things out of fear. There's this dialogue going on between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. You want to know what heaven is going to be like? Here's a small taste of it. This is a small taste of what heaven's going to be like. It's Jesus interacting with us. And then when Peter sees this, you, know, you, you have these different types of personalities. So Peter sees this, and while he's talking with Moses and Elijah, Peter kind of busts in on this little three-way conversation and says, says um, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I mean, that's real nice of them to offer that. I'll build three tabernacles. One here for, for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And if you go to Israel today, on every site that they can define where something may have happened, there's some sort of tabernacle built. There's some church that's been built there to recognize that fact. And look what Jesus said. He doesn't say, oh, that's great. You know, I, I was really hoping you build a tabernacle here for me. That's really what I wanted. And God the Father speaks from heaven. Oh, what a wonderful idea, Peter. That's a great idea. God bless you, Peter, for your, for your thinking of that. He says, it says that while he was still speaking, so God didn't even let him finish what he was saying. God interrupted Peter lest he get in bigger trouble. God interrupts them. It says, while he was still speaking in verse 5, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
Listen to him. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. More important than going around and thinking that I'm going to build this tabernacle for Jesus and I'm going to do some great work for Jesus, the Father says, it's more important that you listen to Him. Did you know it's easier to build a tabernacle than it is to listen to Jesus? We always want to do something for Jesus. It's it's much easier to do something for Jesus than to listen to Him. And that's what the Scripture says. He says, listen to Him. God said, I'm not interested in your building a tabernacle. Jesus had no desire for a tabernacle. In fact, he said, remember, a tabernacle is like a a tent. Something that's not, not that permanent. The temple was already built. And Jesus had said of that temple, not one stone is going to be hooked to another. And that happened in 70 AD. And then... In in Acts chapter 7, Stephen explains this. When they pull Stephen before the council, Stephen explains this and he says, you know, and he starts quoting the Old Testament. He says, God doesn't dwell in a building made with hands. You want to build some church building for Jesus? Not that that's bad, but that's not the biggest thing. In fact, it's easier to build a church for Jesus than just to listen to him. Because to listen to Him causes us to stop our lives and to have the Word of God speak into our lives and modify our behavior because of Him. God says it's more important that you listen to Him. More important that you listen to Him than to build this tabernacle. And they fall down on the ground. It says, because they were terrified in verse 6. And Jesus came to them and he touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. The transfiguration was over. They had beheld it. They were terrified when God spoke. They fell on their faces and the next thing they knew, Jesus is touching them. Jesus was constantly having interactions with his disciples. And he touched people. He related to people. You look at what Jesus does with the lepers. Remember, whoever touched the leper was unclean and Jesus would touch them. Jesus was able to heal with just a word. He did it many times. But he identified with people. Because as soon as he touched them, they were lepers no more. Jesus identified with these people. He touches them and he says, look, don't be afraid. And they look up and all they see is Jesus. He says, come on, let's go. And as he's walking down the hill, he says, don't tell this story to anyone until after I've risen from the dead. And then, and then they start asking him. They said, we thought Elijah had to come first before the coming of the Lord. And he says, Elijah did come. And they did to him whatever they pleased. And then in verse 13, And the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Elijah, in the sense that John the Baptist proclaimed the way of the Lord. When Israel rejected Jesus, when there was that rejection, they put to death John the Baptist, Remember what happened. The Messianic kingdom was then not instituted. And we've covered that before. That was in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 11 and 12. 
and 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 uh, uh, you can look back at that. That's all online now, and you can see that when there was that rejection, it was cut off, and so Elisha had come in John the Baptist. Jesus was speaking of John the Baptist. Had they accepted Jesus, John the Baptist would have served that Elisha role. When they rejected Jesus, he never set up the Messianic kingdom. What we live in, as the Scriptures talk about, is the mystery kingdom. And the Scriptures talk about it as a mystery, meaning it was something that was not revealed in the Old Testament, but is now revealed in the New. He set up the mystery kingdom. And now, before his second coming... Elisha will come again. And so we know in the book of Revelation there, that there are going to be two witnesses that rise again, that, that come again. And they'll be killed halfway through the tribulation. Three and a half years into the tribulation, the two will be killed. The, the world will rejoice when the two are killed. And then God will raise up those two. When the kingdom of Israel sees that, they will rejoice, they will repent for the killing of Jesus, and they will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they will welcome then the return of the Lord. That's what the Scriptures tell us. That's the pattern of what's going to occur. Now, this portion of the demoniac we've gone through in the past, but let me, let me begin to talk a little bit about what it means to listen to Jesus. This is one of the most difficult areas of my life as a believer. And that's listening to God. And you say, oh, well, I have no problem with that. I listen to God all the time. And my problem is hearing God and knowing that it's God as opposed to my own imagination. Um, the Bible speaks about a still, small voice. And I have many times in prayer said, God, speak to me. Give me your direction. And I'm telling you, that I have trouble discerning the still, small voice of God and my own conscience, my own imagination. Because there are times that I know it wasn't God, because what was said to me in those times had to have been my own imagination, because it never came to pass. You see what I mean? You know, so I hear the still, small voice saying this. And I have a very good imagination. I really do. I can, I can think all sorts of things. So, you can have your own imagination in this that can also speak to you. And so, how do you discern? How do you, how do you know the difference between the two? I have trouble with this. I don't have all the solutions for you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pose for you a number of different problems that I have and maybe make your life more complex. But remember what God said. He says, this is my son. I don't care about your building for him a tabernacle. That's not the key. What I really care about is that you realize this is my son and you listen to him. That's really what I care about. That this is my son and you listen to him. So I pray and I say, God, direct me. God, direct me. And I have heard people say, Oh, God speaks to me, and I just write. And I know God is speaking to me, and I write, and I write, and I write. And I believe God can do that. God speaks to us, and we can write these things down. But sometimes we write, and it's our own imagination, too. How do I know? Because sometimes I've written things that never came to pass. The exact opposite comes to pass. So how do I know? 
I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Or if you've ever asked God to speak to you and give you direction and you're wondering, God, what do I do? There's a bunch of people that have all sorts of words from God for other people. It's amazing. They have all sorts of words from God. And this happens. Sometimes God will speak a word to you for another person. But I'm telling you, you've got to be very careful about the way you bring that word forth. Because there is the chance that it was your own imagination. Say, oh, that'll never happen. No, you have to agree with me that there is a possibility that it was your own imagination. Don't you agree that that we can hear in our own minds some things sometimes for ourselves and for other people? Can't that happen to us or am I the only one that this happens to? That can happen. So we have to be very careful about sharing the word of the Lord with another person. This is what the Lord would have you do. I have a word from the Lord for you. That may very well be, but I think, this is my opinion now, we have to be very careful how we bring that forth. For example, rather than saying, the Lord saith unto you, because you may be wrong. I have a thought. I have a thought. I have a thought that I wanted to share with you. I was reading in the Scriptures today in this thought. And leave that with the person. If it's of the Lord, the Lord will confirm that to their heart. Now, they may disobey it, but the Lord will confirm it to the heart. You don't have to put yourself in the position of the prophetess of the Lord or the prophet of the Lord in order to speak the word of the Lord to someone. And what happens is, the prophetess or the prophet of the Lord, a lot of times, gets a little following, where he or she is speaking into all sorts of people's lives. And before you know it, the prophetess's life is a mess. It happens a lot. I've seen it. And I'm trying to spare you trouble. And people who constantly have words of the Lord for other people have to be really careful about how they bring that word forth. I was reading in the Scriptures today an interesting passage I wanted to share with you. You know, that's a non-committal way because we're not absolutely sure that it's for that person. For all we know, it's for us. But you may be praying for another person and God lays a Scripture on your heart. By all means, share it with them. Send it to them by email. I was reading this passage today. Thought I'd share it with you. You know, it's of the Lord. The Lord will confirm it to the heart. Do you see what I mean? God does speak. Jesus does speak. We just have to be careful about having the Word of the Lord. Us for the other person. Because guess what? We're not Jesus. We might be like Peter. Saying, I got a word. <laughs> I want to build you a tabernacle. How's that? Three tabernacles. It's a good thing I'm here. It really is a good thing I'm here, Jesus. Good thing I was here to hear what you're going through. Because I've got the word for you. This, this is what the Lord says. And you know, you can prophesy anything in, in prophecy sounding words. You really can you can take anyone, walk in, and I can start proclaiming over them something that sounds like a prophecy. 
I really could. And I'm not trying to belittle what anyone else does. I'm telling you for myself, I have to be careful. Jim Tour has to be very careful what he says in a prophecy type of voice over another. Because I can have a brown dog wander into this room and say, Oh, brown dog, you are the fairest of brown dogs that has ever come into this place. The Lord has a special plan for you. You are going to save many, oh, brown dog. You know, I can do this. It sounds really, really hot. But it's not. It's my imagination. In my own prayer times, I have to also be careful because I can hear certain things. But God does speak. And for me, one of the ways He just drills it home to me is through the Scriptures. He just absolutely drills it home to me. And that's not to say that people don't speak into my life. People speak into my life all the time. Shireen speaks into my life all the time and points things out to me that are true, that I need to hear. Or, or I'll have, hear a message on TV, some preacher, or in church service, and I know the Lord is speaking to me through that person. That's confirmed to my own heart. That person didn't have to say, I'm directing this at you. They didn't have to. The Lord confirmed it to my own heart. God speaks to me through other people. God has even spoken to me through unbelievers. I've gotten tremendous advice, which matches up perfectly with Scripture, by my mentors in the university. Words that were true. God speaks to us in a diversity of ways. For me, one of the ways in my personal time that He drills it home to me is through the Scriptures. And I'm going to give you an example of this that happened just this past week. And I have on my website, I think, I think on the individual messages, message number one, I give a bunch of things in my life where God has spoken specifically to me from the Scriptures. So if you go to my website and go to, go to individual messages and message number one. But let me show you one that happened just this week. I was in a board meeting last week. And I'm on the board of, of a non-profit organization. And some things came up, and they're trying to be careful about how they deal with the money. And here I'm now on the board. I'm the newest board member. My board appointment just started. And, you know, I want to point some things out. And God speaks to me very specifically through the Scriptures as I'm preparing for this study. You say, well, why am I preparing for this study last week? Because I do prepare in advance for this. I know it seems like I just walk in here and it just falls out. No, I do really prepare in advance. So I'm, I'm reading this Scripture. So look in, in Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. Matthew 17:24. When they came to Capernaum... Those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, Yes. And when they came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? And when Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to them, The sons then are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take the shekel and give it to them for you and me. Okay. 
God spoke to me through this passage. He said, how did He speak to you? I had just been praying for wisdom on how to approach the board on what was being done with the money in this non-profit organization. Not that things bad were going on, I just thought things needed to be more careful. So, those who collect the tax, so there was a temple tax. These were paid to Jews for the tax of the temple. Once a year you had to give a tax. And, and the two drachma tax. Two drachmas were equivalent to two days' wage. So, I don't know, what is that? A hundred bucks or something. Two hundred dollars, depending on your salary, I guess. So, a few hundred dollars. You had to pay it once a year. This was, this was what you had to pay. And they came and they said to Peter, does your master, does Jesus pay this tax? He says, yeah, he does. Well, maybe, maybe Peter knew from previous years that Jesus paid it. Maybe Peter was just trying to protect his master. He comes into the house and it says, before he could even speak, before he says anything to Jesus, Jesus says to him, Hey, Peter, from whom do the kings of the earth collect taxes or customs? From their sons or from strangers? And the kings don't go to their sons and say, pay the tax. They go out to the, you know, to the... Uh, the 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 uh, the masses out there, the plebeians, they go out there and they pay the tax now. And Peter says they don't collect it from their sons; they go out, you know, collect it from strangers. He says, "So the Son of Man." He says, "Then the sons are exempt." In other words, I don't have to pay this tax. Now you could say, "Well, maybe Jesus didn't have the money." Well, let, let's. Let's look at something else. Look in, in, in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6 is the occasion when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And in Mark chapter 6, it says, it says uh, in verse 36, in verse 35, Mark 6:35, When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and get themselves something to eat. So remember, there's 5,000 men there with their wives and children. But Jesus, in verse 37, says to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And a denarii was again a day's wage. A shekel and a denarii were very similar in, in their... In their um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a, a, uh, a drachma and a... a um, uh, denarii were very similar, similar. And so he says, they said, shall we spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? Shall we spend that much? That's what it would take us. 200 days wages. What's 200 days wages? $30,000? That's what it takes to feed, say, 10,000 people. Because remember, there were 5,000 men plus women and children, the scriptures say. That's what it's going to take. Should we spend $30,000? Well, was, this a, was, was he speaking facetiously? What, do you want us to spend $30,000? Jesus, we're broke. Or was he saying, we have $30,000 in our money box. Should we spend it all on this? I don't know. Well, let's look, let's look in, 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 in uh, John 6. John chapter 6. Same thing he's dealing with. The same situation in John chapter 6. Verse 5, Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing the large crowd coming to him, said to Philip, 
Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. So in Mark, one of, in, 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 uh, in Mark, one of the disciples, we don't know which one, said, should we spend 200 denarii, 200 days wages? Very specific number. And then in John, it says, Philip replies, 200 days wages isn't enough. We don't even have enough, Jesus. It may well have been that they had that much in their money box. You say, well, where is Jesus going to get $30,000 in his money box? Look in, in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Look who supported Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 8, starting from verse 1. Soon afterwards, he began going about from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. I mean, this is a rich lady. This is Herod's steward's wife. And Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Many others. There were women who supported the ministry of Jesus out of their private means. You say, well, why women? Because women are often more generous than men. Because in a household, women are often more generous. They want to give, and men are tightwads. And, and um, it says that this, was, this woman was uh, um, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. So this was a wealthy woman. So wealthy women were supporting Jesus' ministry. You got 12 guys going around plus Jesus. I mean, there's a lot that's needed. You need food, you need ministry expenses and things. So maybe it was real money. Maybe he was speaking facetiously. But they had money. They had a money box. Remember, we won't turn there, but, but uh, um, it, it says in, in, uh, that, that when Mary had broken the vial of precious ointment over Jesus and, and anointed him, that that uh, uh, Judas said, why waste this precious ointment? It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And it says, well, because Judas had control of the money box and he used to pilfer it. That's why he wanted it. So there was a money box. And it had substantial money, enough that it was worth pilfering. You know, if the money box has 47 cents, I mean, what are you going to pilfer? There's a significant money box there. Jesus would not. Now, let's go back to Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27. The issue of Jesus paying his poll tax. This is where God spoke to me. Through this passage. He spoke to me through this passage. In, in, in relation to what I had to deal with with the board. And it's this. That Jesus would not go to his money box. Why didn't he just go to the money box? Why send Peter down to worry about a fish? Probably Peter was coming in and used the money box to pay the poll tax. Jesus wouldn't let him. Jesus would not take the ministry's money to pay his own poll tax. Even though it may have been acceptable and valid, and people wouldn't have questioned it, he wouldn't do it. They had a money box, the scriptures say. And that money box is indeed spoken about. But he wouldn't go into the money box. 
And that, that money box, by the way, is in, in John chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, where, where they had the money box and Judas used to pilfer it. But Jesus would not go into the money box to take his own taxes, even though this was his ministry. There's Peter's ministry too. You know, Peter, he's, a, he's the top dog here. could have gone into the money box. But when it came to personal expenses, they would not go into the money box. This was a personal expense. Don't touch the ministry's money because this is donated money. Ministries have to be much more careful with their budgets and with their money than do secular organizations because the money in a ministry was given, was donated. Donated money has to be treated differently has to be treated with more respect. Has to be treated with more care. Did you know, if you look in Luke chapter 11, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus slams the Pharisees. Just absolutely slams them. And then one of the lawyers comes up to him and says, when you say this, you offend me too. You offend the lawyers too. And Jesus said, does that offend you? Bam! He hits them. Direct on, head on, he attacks the lawyers. He says, you're responsible for all the deaths of all the prophets. You, you lawyers. I just came and said I was offended by you. Well, now what do you think? (laughs) Jesus, when it came to preaching the gospel, he didn't worry about offense. He spoke the word. But what does he say here in verse 27 of Matthew 17? However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and pull out a coin and pay them. I don't have to pay this tax. I'm the son of God, he says. I'm the son of the... I'm, I'm the king come. I don't have to pay this tax, but in order not to raise an offense with money, let's pay them. We are careful with money, how we deal with money. Be careful how you deal with borrowed, with, with, with money that comes into a ministry. Be very careful. If a person has given you money for a mission trip, be careful how you spend that money. Be careful what you do with that money, and if you have some left over... Don't just spend it on yourself. Remember, that money was donated. I have people contribute sometimes when I have events on campus. And people have come up to me and said, we would like to contribute to your event. And if they give me money, when the event is over, I give them a complete accounting of where every penny was spent. And then you know what I do? With whatever's left over, I divide it up proportionately to whoever helped out, and I send it back. You know, most of these people don't want the money back. It's more of a hassle for them to have the money back, because they've already written it off on their income tax. I don't care. I give it back. Because it leaves something with them that I'm careful with their money, and I respect it. I was able to pull off the event for less than I planned on. Here's the money back. I needed to address the board. And I had this passage, and I shared with those guys, and they said, you know, you're absolutely right. We have to be extra vigilant. I didn't have to come in here and come in there and say, thus saith the Lord. All I said is, look what the scriptures say. Look what I was reading this morning. And look what I saw for the first time. That Jesus was extra careful with money, lest he raise an offense. He would not touch the money box money, the donated money even for his own taxes. Even though it was a temple tax. A tax that was paid 
you know, to the temple. We could kind of relate that. It's spiritual. It's donated money. It's temple. He's the Son of God. He wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. You've got to be careful with money that's donated. Many of you have no access now to donated money in your life. You will in the future. You will be given charge of things. And you will see the way ministries and churches spend money. And it's up to you to take this portion and to say, Hey, look, Jesus had a ton of money available to him in the money box. But he was extra careful with it, lest it raise an offense. That's listening to Jesus. That's the way he speaks to us. We pick up the word of God and we say, God, speak to me. And he speaks. He drops in words that are relevant to a situation. And that's what the Father said. This is my Son. Listen to Him. And when we listen to Him, ministries change. When we listen to Him, lives get better. And He keeps us out of all sorts of trouble if we'd only listen to Him. If men would listen to Him, they'd save themselves all sorts of pain and trouble. If women would listen to Him, they'd spare themselves so much misery. This is why He does it, because He loves us and He cares for us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. And you say more important than tabernacles, more important than building great ministries is to listen to Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word and that you speak through your word. I thank you, Lord, for the care that Jesus had with others' money. The way he treated it with respect and would not do anything to raise an offense with it. Father, I pray that you just plant this message in the hearts of these young people as they grow and take charge of money for ministries and go off on mission trips and have, have charge of money that's been given for a specific purpose for a ministry, that they would not abuse it. And Father, I pray that they would learn to hear your voice, learn to discern between their own imagination and the voice of the Lord. And Father, that they would learn to bring forth your word into others' lives in a right and a fitting way that is not presumptuous, but gracious. And Father, I thank you for these young people. What treasures they are. What treasures. Father, I pray that you plant this deep within their hearts, that they'd listen to you, and so spare themselves of all sorts of troubles in life. I pray, Lord, for these young men, that you would make them men of God, that you would raise up for them good spouses in your own time, after your own choosing. Father, that you would cause them to walk with great sexual morality and be leaders in those relationships. And Father, I pray for the women here that you would cause them to hear and listen to you and you'd give them good lives and good husbands in your own time after your own choosing. And Father, that they too would walk with sexual uprightness, always fearing God and understanding what your best is for them. Father, have mercy on their souls, I pray. Have mercy on these young people. And I thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.